Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse 26, the New King James Version. And he said, these are the words of Jesus. The kingdom of God is as a man, excuse me, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. He's describing wheat or barley or some type of grain. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I want to speak to you today on the subject, planting for a spiritual harvest. Planting for a spiritual harvest. And here is a secret. If you sow a seed, you save a soul. You may be seated. We live in a, a large metropolitan area where uh, farming is probably not the norm for most everyone that makes Atlanta West their church home. So we understand seasonal changes. We understand seasons of planting. And in the sunny south, as it is becoming here in the next few days, we know that it is time for people to plant their crops. And even though you may not be connected to agriculture as a way of life or as a source of income, Everybody here is very connected to the agricultural world. And if you're not, in a few weeks you are no longer in the world because we either eat or die. So it's very important for us to know enough to be able to be thankful that we live in a country where there's an abundant supply of produce and food of all kinds instead of countries that I've been in before where there was hardly any selection and people just begged for enough to get by on countries where we supply food as a nation. In the state of Georgia, uh, agribusiness is quite large, $71 billion. It's the largest single source of income in our state, and one in seven Georgians are involved in either agriculture, forestry, or related fields. And in the next few years, there's actually going to be a shortage of educated workers in the field of agriculture. 42,000 farms in Georgia, 228 acres on average in size, and about 10 million acres under uh, agricultural and farms right now in our state. So while you may not know a lot about agriculture, I think you can appreciate the fact that it's important that someone, somewhere, is growing food for you. Amen? So seeds and plants are going up for sale all around Georgia. Go into your home improvement store. You might find packets of seeds like this on sale. And they're telling you that even though you live in the city, you need to go play in the dirt, right? Go plant something. Get close to your roots because everybody wants you to get back to the soil right now. In our church, I'm introducing today a season of planting and praying for spiritual harvest. In January, we focused on the blessed life, what it takes to live in a way that God would bless you. In February, we spent an entire month talking about strengthening our families and our personal relationships. In the month of March, we were marching toward Easter, and I asked you the question repeatedly, if you knew you had a week to live, 
What would you do in that week? How would you reorder your priorities? So we spent the first quarter of this year focused rather inwardly, putting roots deeper. And the resources have been available for you spiritually and practically for you to be a more whole person and to grow into spiritual maturity. I know it doesn't always take place in three months, but we understand that that's what God's goal is for those of us who are his people. Amen? In January, I spoke about Psalm 1. Psalm 1 and 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The Bible teaches that if you are a mature Christian, you're a blessed person, you live your life planted by a source of spiritual growth, and in due season you bring forth fruit. You bring forth your fruit in your season. A new Christian, a brand new babe in Christ, is fully alive but not fully mature. And God's goal for you and me if we are saved is to develop us into mature Christians. And a sign of maturity is that you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, mercy, those things that make up a Christian's character. But if you are a mature Christian, not only do you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in your character, but you reproduce your relationship in other people. That is the way God designed nature, that every mature plant reproduces after its kind and that people reproduce after their kind and that people like you and me should reproduce our faith. If we are the real deal, if we are genuine Christians, what we are, what we have should rub off on someone else and should make them hungry and thirsty for God because we are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and we are here to draw people to Jesus Christ. The future of all species demands, demands reproduction. And the future of the church and of our faith demands that the church, you and me, people like us, reproduce our faith in other people. Now, Jesus told us a very simple but vivid story about planting for a spiritual harvest. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, if this is too simple for you today, I want you to just blame Jesus because I'm preaching a story he told, all right? He's going to use a farming illustration to teach a spiritual principle. And the kingdom of heaven is like a man planting seed. The farmer, first of all, I want you to know, he's not propped up on the couch reading a book about horticulture or botany or about planting. He is outside in the field. He's got his hands dirty, and he is actually taking a seed and putting it in the ground. I have a little tiny green English pea seed in my hand, and there are hundreds of them on the platform up here in these little bowls. He actually was taking this seed, 
and he was sticking it in the ground. He wasn't hoping the seed would hop off the shelf and go plant itself. He knew that it was his job to do that. The Bible said that we're laborers together with God, that we are in a partnership with him. There are some things he does, and there are things he expects us to do. And this guy, this farmer, is out there planting seed in the ground. He's working with God and for God. He's not just asking God to do it all. He either bought a seed or saved it from last year's harvest, He prepared the ground, and he went and planted seed in the ground. The Bible said that's what he did. And then the next verse tells us, verse 27, at the end of the day, he went home and went to bed. And then he got up the next day, carried out the routine of his life. He might have planted more seed, might have watered it, might have worked on some farm equipment, might have gone to town and bought some stuff. We don't know what he did. But the Bible said he would sleep by night and wake by day, and while he was going through the routines of his life, the seed would sprout and grow. But this guy wasn't all that bright. And the Bible says that he didn't even know how it happened. Now, are you reading the same thing I'm reading? That means that Farmer Brown worked all day, went home, went to sleep, got up the next day, did other stuff, And while he's just going on the routine of his life, he doesn't go camp out in the field with time-lapse photography to watch the seed grow. That's okay, but he doesn't do that. He just goes on about his business. He doesn't dig up the seed every day to see if anything is happening. He just trusts. He doesn't get stressed out. He just plants a seed, and he goes on about his business, and it grows, and he doesn't even know how it happens. So I was thinking about this guy. And I could just imagine him getting intrigued with how it happened, getting on his computer and and Googling germination. It pops up on his screen. This guy, I'm not trying to make fun of him. Jesus uses him as an example. He plants seed. The seed grows. He doesn't know how. But now he's going to learn. He's not all that bright, but he Googles germination, and this is what he reads. Germination is the process by which a plant grows from a seed. He goes like, duh, who doesn't know that? He keeps reading. First, environmental conditions must trigger the seed to grow. Hmm. Usually, this is determined by how deep the seed is planted Water availability and temperature. Hmm. When water is plentiful, the seed fills with water in a process called uh, imbibition. Wow. The water activates special proteins called enzymes, oh, enzymes that begin the process of seed growth. First, the seed grows a root. He doesn't know that. To access water underground. Next, thought on me while I was reading this today, that any time we want to make somebody sound dumb, we read it in a southern accent, which just comes naturally for me. We have visitors from Michigan. God bless you. I can't do any other accent. Can't even imitate myself. Next, these shoots or growth 
above ground begin to appear. Who doesn't know that? These seeds, since they shoot towards the surface, where it will grow leaves to harvest energy from the sun. The leaves continue to grow toward the light source in a process called, yeah, there it goes again, photomorphogenesis. He exits out of Google, Safari. He says, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not sure I can wrap my brain about that, but I remember my daddy, he was a farmer. And my granddaddy were farmers. And they took that little seed and they went out there and they stuck it in the ground. And I'll be if it didn't grow. And although I'm not sure what photo whatever Genesis is, I do know that this seed has life in itself. That's the next thing that Jesus said. That the earth brings forth fruit of itself. There is power in a simple seed. You don't have to have a PhD in some kind of agricultural science, although that's good. I'm glad people do. But you don't have to know that to know that if you take a seed and plant it in the ground, that you and God enter into a partnership, you and the natural world are going to work together and something is going to happen. Amen. There are people who are theologians that can explain the Bible from the original Hebrew and Greek, but they've never planted a seed. There are preachers who can preach it, but don't live it. There are saints that know it, but don't do it. I'm here to tell you today that if you will plant a seed, if you will sow a seed, you can save a soul. Amen. You may understand all the deep mysteries of what is taking place in a human heart, or you may not. But if you just plant a seed, if you just sow a seed, you can save a soul. Amen. Pretty simple stuff, right? The earth brings forth fruit of itself, the blade the head, the full grain in the head, you can see that little teeny shoot growing out of the ground that gives you hope, but the goal is maturity and harvesting and something on your table and seed to plant for the next year. What I want to encourage you in today is that God has given us the seed of his word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you know a lot about it, good. The more you know, the better. You should dig into the word of God. But if all you know is what the blind man said, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. All I know is that I was lost and now I found. If that's all you know, just plant that seed and trust God to let it grow in a human heart. Amen. That's the way it happens. Always has, always will. And I'm here today to launch a season of focused prayer and planting for a spiritual harvest. While God has given us a perpetual harvest of people being saved and brought into the kingdom of God by repenting of their sins, being baptized in water in Jesus' name, and being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, it is a rather paltry harvest, a few here and a few there. But I believe that God has something bigger than what we have ever seen, and it is in the secret of sowing the seed. Amen. There is a worldwide harvest of people, a spiritual harvest. 
process of people coming in the kingdom of God that is unprecedented. It has never happened like this in the history of the world. Brother John Turner told us a little bit about it today. If you take every form of Christianity and add it together, nominal Christians, people of all denominations and belief systems that are call themselves Christians, there are 2.4 billion Christians worldwide. A third of the world's population claim Jesus Christ as Savior and claim Christianity in some form. I'm not saying that they're all saved, just like I wouldn't say everybody who comes to Atlanta West is saved. But they at least confess Jesus Christ, have a Bible or access to the Word of God, and have an open heart, and maybe the Lord can lead them into truth, just as he did Apollos in the Bible and so many other people. Around the world, the church is exploding in growth, especially in South America, in Asia. But Africa is kind of jaw-dropping in its revival. In the 1900s, there were fewer than 9 million Christian people in Africa. But today, over 541 million people in the last 15 years alone, 51% increase in Africa. Christianity is taking Africa by storm. An average of 33,000 people every day are either born again or born into a Christian family in Africa. And you may say, oh, I know why. They're uneducated and poor. But I tell you, that is not the reason. They may be more humble and open to God and less proud as we are in the Western world. But what really makes a difference is planting a seed of the gospel in a human heart. Amen. That's what really makes the difference. And the people of what we used to call the dark continent are no more lost than the people of our continent. The 48% of people in the state of Georgia who never go to church according to their own confession. The 5.7 million people of Metro Atlanta and the 10 million people of the state of Georgia are lost in their sins and they're waiting for somebody to come by, educated or not in the gospel, and plant a seed of eternal life in them. And if we will plant it, God will grow it and we will see a spiritual harvest. Amen. Let me just share with you what the Bible says about sowing and reaping and, and planting. It's very, very straightforward. 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, the context is giving, but the principle is growth. Paul says, with this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. If you, the, each of these bowls has about 500 seeds in them. They're a little organic, by the way. English pea seeds in 60 days. You can have a harvest if you plant it at the right time. And, uh, but each of these is very powerful in itself. If you go home and plant one, and I'll encourage you to take one today as a reminder of this message and a commitment to sow a seed and save a soul. If you plant one of these little seeds, you're going to get just a little bit of a harvest. But there's about 500 seeds per packet. My wife counted. Thank you very much. And <clears throat> yes, she did. About 500 seeds per packet sold by weight. But if you go plant a whole packet of seed, it makes sense that you're going to have a lot more harvest, right? Anybody smart enough to figure that out? Amen? 
If we have people in our church, one or two, they're inviting people to church, teaching Bible studies, you're going to see a very sparing harvest, a sparse harvest. Because if you sow a little bit of seed, you get a little bit of harvest. Don't sit back and go, wow, why is, why is God not moving here? God moves when we move. God responds to our action in planting and doing what we know to do. If you sow... That's planting seeds for everybody who doesn't know what sowing is. If you sow bountifully, you will reap also bountifully. It is a law of the harvest. Little bit of sowing, little bit of harvest. A lot of sowing, a lot of harvest. And then the prophet Isaiah told us, Blessed are you who sow beside all waters. You're not picky where you sow. Some people may be more fertile to the gospel than others. Some may be unlikely converts, like the woman at the well. And one conversation with Jesus changed her life and brought the attention of an entire village to the Lord Jesus Christ because you never know who is hungry and who is not. So don't be stingy and don't be selective. So beside all waters. Ecclesiastes 11.6. In the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand. For you, farmer, do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So don't try to figure this out too much, God says. You just sow seed everywhere all the time and then trust that you become a partner with me and I will give you a harvest of people who are now on their way to hell if you will just plant a seed. If you will sow a seed, you can save a soul. Paul told us in Galatians 6 9 about working for God that we should not grow weary in doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The King James says faint and give up. So that means that even though it doesn't seem to be working, just wake and sleep and get up every day and go plant a seed and let God help you and believe God for a harvest. Now, there's a lot of farms, a lot of churches. They don't do a lot of sowing of seed. What they're focused on is transplants. Rob a saint from here, pray for a move in there. Lots of people have lots of babies, will grow like that. And through the years, this church has been blessed. Metro Atlanta, you know, 30 years of boom. A little bust in between there for a few years. We've been blessed before I come and in the last 20 years of wonderful people who have made Atlanta West Pentecostal, Atlanta West Pentecostal Church their home and love God and have been tremendous blessings in this church. But that is not our focus. We don't advertise change churches. We don't advertise ever move to Atlanta and make Atlanta West your home. Because if that happens, fine. But that will never be the focus of this church. The focus of this church is on people who are dead in their sins and need a Savior. 
And pardon me for being very transparent right now, but I'm watching your faces across the audience and I am preaching a message to mobilize you instead of preaching to your need. If I was preaching to your need right now, you would be more into this sermon because it would be about you. But I'm preaching about them, about others, about you getting up and getting out and playing in the dirt again and planting a seed. I'm trying to jar this church out of our complacency, out of our stagnation into the harvest field. Starting with the pastor. Amen. So if the fruit of the Spirit is not demonstrated in your life, you're not a maturing Christian. If you're not reproducing your faith and planting seed, there's something vitally wrong with your experience because everyone who ever found Jesus Christ, brand new people, wanted to tell everyone they could the change that had happened in their lives. Amen. Every week we celebrate what's for the party. Very few Sundays in the course of a year, almost never is there not at least one person who is baptized in Jesus' name or filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We do that so because I want to make sure, and if you've been here long enough, I preached about this twice, once with the, what's with the party, that the purpose of this is to remind us this is what our mission, this is our mission. This is what we are called to do. We're not just flashing a, a picture on a screen screen and making somebody feel good. We thank God for that because we believe that people are dead in their sins and on their way to hell without the gospel. So we celebrate that for their sake, but for our sake to never forget that all of heaven rejoices more over one sinner that repents more than 99 just persons who need no repentance. The Lord loves you. Heaven's happy about you. But heaven is focused on the lost. Amen. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. Amen. Atlanta West is a wonderful farm. Very organized farm. We have lots of places for people to serve in ministry on our farm, hired hands and people who volunteer. But if you really look at it, most of us are deeply engaged in keeping the farm going and taking care of the farm hands who are serving in ministry and our people are very important. We couldn't function without the many people who serve in ministry here. And if you were to calculate the volunteer hours of this church and the amount of money that they would have given for an hour of their service, it's way over a million dollars a year donated by the volunteers of this church. And we can all just take care of the farm and keep the machinery running and continue to have farm Sundays and celebrate that we're all in the farm together. But somebody has to get a seed 
and go out into the harvest field and plant a seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am here today because a lady named Thelma Cox invited my dad to church when he was just out of the Navy as a young adult. It was simply Thelma planting a seed of hope in George Johns' life. That's why my family is saved, because somebody just invited a person to church. They planted a seed. A lot has happened since that day because somebody wasn't just clanking on the machinery of the farm, but somebody was actually engaged in the purpose of the farm itself to grow a crop to be successful. In our church, we have 281 people involved in ministries. Our average attendance this year is 772. Easter bumped it up to 798. But we have, if you go by last year's more accurate, a year of attendance, 36% of the people who call this church home, based on our average attendance, 36% are involved in a ministry. And if you take out children who wouldn't be eligible or new people and people that just come and go, that's a very high percentage of people who are actually engaged in ministry. And if you read statistics or whatever, I can just tell you that's an amazing number of people. But if you calculated the percentage of our energy as a church that is actually involved in planting seeds into the soil of lost people, I have a great concern that that's not happening very much. Last year, 967 people came to our church for the very first time, 967. If you took our average attendance, that's 1.25 people per member. That means on average, you brought 1.25, one and a quarter person to church last year. I don't know where the quarter of a person went, but that's if everybody brought one person and a quarter. But you know that many of you didn't bring someone, and many people came on their own. So the people that actually came to this church for the very first time in 2000. Uh, 15, 967 people came for a variety of reasons. We saw 152 of them receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's 20% of of our attenders, 761. That means it took five of you to reach one of them. Five of us. Five of us to reach one of them. And many of them, because I have conversations with them, found us on the internet, heard about the choir, drove by and felt led of the Lord to come. So some of us, in some cases, none of us have personal responsibility or credit, if that matters, for anybody that was saved in 2015. Now, I know this is a riveting message and very encouraging, but what is encouraging is that we have a simple tool called the seed of the Word of God. And you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in systematic theology. You don't have to have your master's degree to be able to go take a seed and plant it in the soil. You just simply tell your friends and neighbors, I was lost, now I'm found. Before I came to God, I was bound by habits. I was like this. I came to God. He changed my life and look at me now. How did it happen? I'll tell you. I turned from God by repenting of my sins. I was baptized in water in Jesus' name. There's the baptistry. I received the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in a language that I had never learned. And all I can tell you is I'm a new creation now. Old things are passed away. All things are made new. God has changed my life. 
You just tell what happened to you and God will work through the planting of that seed even if you don't know how it works. So share your personal testimony. Give an invitation. Take two business cards. They're always in the foyer for you to have an opportunity. When I was purchasing seeds, thought I would do it myself, the young lady at the Home Depot garden department was freezing cold yesterday evening. I didn't have a business card, so I went to my vehicle, got one out, took it back, invited her to church. I won't call her name, but I could. And I said, we have a church, here it is, you know. And uh, she said, you know, I've been looking for a church. I was pretty excited that I walked back in there and said, excuse me, I wanted to just give you an invitation to church. Now, that's not teaching a Bible study. I'm not in a friendship with that person. But you just never know when a little bit of seed takes a lot of root in the ground of a heart of somebody who's looking for the Lord. Later this month on a Wednesday night, we'll go through into his marvelous light, a one-hour fill-in-the-blank Bible study that's as easy to teach as reading. Even my farmer Brown could do that. And you'll have an opportunity to have access to a Bible study that could change the person's life. Let's talk about the allocation of resources. Jesus gave us a great illustration, not about farming, but the principle is the same. He said, there was a shepherd, a sheep herder. He had a hundred sheep. And he had them out in the wilderness. I'm sure they were safe and sound. And he did the head count at night and realized that one of the 100 was missing. One percent of the sheep was not in the fold. It was just one lost sheep. And he might be dead already. We don't know. But the Bible says... Jesus told this story in Luke chapter 15 that the shepherd left. Everybody say he left the 99. He neglected the 99. They weren't going to starve to death overnight. The wolf wasn't going to get them. I'll never believe that he left them vulnerable. But he focused his attention on the one. He went out and he searched for that lamb until he found it. He threw it on his shoulders carried it back personally. He called for a big celebration and told everyone, I have found my sheep which was lost. And then Jesus said, I say to you that likewise in the same way that there shall be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now I realize I said that verse earlier, but this is the context. That the allocation of heaven's resources is at the point of the spear. It is at the point of a lost person. It is where the seed meets the ground. I know that God cares about his people. His thoughts toward you are more than you can number. But if you want to know what is on the mind of God, you have to read the Bible to say that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. At the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus said, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. He is looking for lost people that is his business. 
And that's where he found us. Lost sheep, lost people are his priority. So my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who have been changed by the power of the gospel. You know, the Bible calls us to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We're to be a holy people. But that same gospel that calls us out of sin to a life of separation also tells us to go out into the world, to the highways, the hedges, to go into all the earth, every place to every person and preach the gospel to them, share a testimony with them. So we are called to separation and sent back to reach them. Some people don't understand that. When Jesus ate with sinners, the supposedly religious people were bent out of shape and all upset and said, you know, he must not be that spiritual. He can't discern who he's eating with today. What kind of man is that who would eat with people like that? But Jesus came for people just like that. It is time for saints to get on the same page with our Savior and to recognize that we are saved from the world and sent back into the world to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sow a seed. Save a soul. The power is not in the farmer. The power is in the seed. And while you can be powerful for Jesus, there's something even more powerful, and that is the Word of God that is just told. And a hungry person receives it into the soil of their heart. And when they do, something supernatural takes place. I could explain it theologically, but I still can't wrap my brain around how a person can come. Someone was here today who was saved in our church several years ago. They were addicted to nicotine for many, many years. And in a single day, God delivered her, and she has been delivered ever since. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know it happens. I can't fathom how it happens. But I know what Jesus Christ has called me to do. Be a friend. Show the love of God. Share my story. Teach a Bible study. Sow a seed. And save a soul. Would you please bow your heads right now? And let's pray. Lord, I thank you today for the power of the seed of the word of God that God in my heart as a child and changed me. Thank you for the seed of the word of God that has revolutionized our lives. And sitting here today are people, Lord, who wonder if it could happen to them. They've told themselves that they that the word of God can never change them, that the power of God can never deliver them from their addictive habits, that they can never be a Christian. But I thank you, Lord, for what the word of God can do combined with the spirit of God in the heart of a hungry person, that today, in the name of Jesus Christ, you will revolutionize a life and you will transform a church. Help us, Lord not just go through the motions. 
Help us not lie to ourselves and tell us that we are the body of Christ when we are inactive and impotent, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that over the next few weeks, Lord, you would help us engage with you in the great work of redemption, of bringing people back to you. Help us have faith that if we will sow a seed, simply sow a seed, that you will use us to save a soul. Sow a seed, save a soul. Planting for a spiritual harvest. Amen. If you don't mind, please look this way. There are four bowls up here, and they've got these little tiny seeds. There's nothing special about it. It's just an organic English pea. But if you plant it at the right time, in the right place, in about 60 days, there will be a harvest. And just as much as I believe and what that little seed can do. I believe even more in what this seed can do. That planted in a human heart, it was designed to bring eternal life. And you and I have the power to withhold eternal life or to grant eternal life. You're not a co-redeemer. You're not Jesus little, the second. But Jesus said, whoever sins you retain or retain. And whoever sins you remit or remitted. He was saying that if you don't tell them, they are lost. But if you will tell them, they can be saved. Because it's just that simple. If you will sow a seed, God will use you to save a soul. So we're going to gather in a moment to pray. And our highest priority at this church is for people who need a Savior. That's why I preach this today. So why wouldn't we give first priority to hungry people that need God? And as everybody comes and gathers around, I'd like for you to just filter around over the next few minutes and just take a seed. It's just an act of commitment to God. That you're serious about your calling as a Christian. Amen. And then we're going to pray and we're going to believe God for something great. Brother Dwayne Lewis, would you mind just making your way up here if you can, Brother Dwayne? Just begin to walk up here if you're able to, and you may be babysitting. Brother Dwayne on Wednesday night didn't know what I was preaching today. We've been praying for Brother Dwayne. God has really worked in his life. He said, Brother John, the Lord gave me a prophecy. I believe it's for our church. He said, the Lord spoke to me several weeks ago. Just come up on the platform if you can, Brother Dwayne. The Lord spoke to me and said, I've got a 10,000 soul revival for this church. And I believe for the Georgia district. So open your mouths and your hands to believe God for that. Come on, Brother Dwayne. He said, the second thing the Lord spoke to me about 
was that we need to make a place for the stranger in our church. We need to make room for lost people to find God among us. He said, the third part of the prophecy, Brother John, is that the Lord gave me and he emailed this to me. Was that he said, the Lord spoke to me and said that there are people who have retired from the harvest field and they need to return. He says, specifically, the Lord showed me middle-aged people who are once deeply involved but are no longer involved in the harvest. 10,000 souls. You say, oh, that's a lot of people. It doesn't all all have to happen in these four walls. But with 5.7 lost people in Atlanta, 5.7 million people in Atlanta, 10 million people in Georgia, half of them don't go to church. 10,000 people, that's just a drop in the bucket to what God can do. Do you believe that? Amen. 10,000 soul revival. Make a room for the stranger and get back to the harvest. Those of you that have been retired from working for the Lord, find your place back in the harvest of the Lord. Would you stand right now? I want you to just pray, Brother Dwayne, as I hear you pray at men's prayer, intercessory prayer. I think I've represented what you said right. Amen? Amen. Would you join me at this altar now? And would you come and let's pray together now?